to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Welcome to another episode of Midlife Moxie. I'm your co-host, Gail. And I'm Christina. And we are so excited to go into part two with one of our favorite guests, Rachel Easterwood. So Rachel is going to tell us exactly who she is and what she does for those who might not have been on before. So Rachel, tell me about yourself. Hi, thanks for having me back. I am Rachel Easterwood. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner. So that means that I'm a nurse with um, an advanced degree, and I focus on um, women about 13 years of age and older all the way through the lifespan after that. You know, you're the first time I've heard that term, women's health nurse practitioner. Is this a newer subsection of the gynecological OBGYN field? Is this something... We're seeing more of a split there, or tell me it's, about that. It's not new, but there just aren't as many um, programs available. Most people just want to be kind of a generalist or a family nurse practitioner because that, um, you know, you have so many job opportunities. You can work at, you know, a walk in clinic or anywhere like that. Um, but for people like me who knew exactly what they wanted to do, um, you there are programs available to specialize in things like women's health or pediatrics or psychology or excuse me, psychiatry. Um, so it's not newer. It's, it's just something that you have to, to seek out. And My you program, sought this out at Vandy. Yes. I went to Vanderbilt. My program was the same length of time as any other nurse practitioner. I think people think since I specialized that I only had to go like half the time or something You didn't have like to that. do the man's part or something. <laughs> Right. Well, I just did. I just did more um, specialized training versus, you know, just a general training. So I went to the to graduate school the same amount of time. Um, but my whole time in graduate school was spent focusing on um, women's health, gynecology, pregnancy, um, and then a little bit of primary care that goes along with women throughout their lifespan. Nice. So, what's your what's your favorite part about you know, being in a specialized field, what's your favorite part? Yeah, well, I love that I can offer my patients something that a lot of other people can't offer them. Um, you still get, like, the nurse practitioner experience with me. You know, I don't see as many patients in a day as a physician usually does, so you get to spend more time with me, and um, I think people just feel more comfortable with a nurse practitioner oftentimes. Um, but I do still have that specialized training where I can do, um, your procedures that you may need done, or I, um, just have a, I mean, I don't want to just make a blanket statement that I have a a deeper understanding, but I do have more in-depth training, um, than, than just a general nurse practitioner. And, And, you know, Rachel, I think that, you know, when you just said this, I, I can give more time to my patients. I absolutely love that. And I, I, I just am a fan of nurse practitioners because I think that they Me operate, too. Yeah, yes. they operate very similarly to doctors. I know you can't say that you're a doctor. But, you know, let's just be clear, y'all. Uh, they're, they're pretty darn close. I mean... <laughs> Well, we can do a lot of the same things. So exactly. But the time, you know, especially in midlife, right? We, we have a lot of questions. I know, I know for myself, I'm like, okay, why am I hot all the time? Why are my periods like not as long as they used to be? Um, what's going on with my midsection here? Why, why is this developing some, some fat around around the waist? Yeah. We've all been to that visit where we got kind of, flabbergasted and felt pressured, especially it was by some 
35-year-old male that was still wet behind the ears out of medical school, and you're trying to tell him you're peeing down your leg, and you feel rushed, and you're having a hot flash at that moment, and you're a little nervous anyway because your hormones are out of whack, and you walk out of there just feeling just humiliated almost. And so I love that Rachel has taken this stride. And Rachel, you do not deliver babies either, right? No, I don't. I was a labor and delivery nurse for a long time, and that was fun, but it was not anything that I wanted to do for the rest of my was life. Was it your passion? Um, it was not. I'm not passionate about the birthing process, and you have to have that passion if you're going to be woken up at three o'clock in the morning for that. So that's one of the things that differentiates me from a nurse midwife is that I, instead of training, um, to deliver babies and I can take care of pregnant people. I don't currently, but I I've been trained to, um, my training focused more on like the in office, um, procedures and, um, just that area of specialty. That support. Yeah. Because I imagine that, you know, when you're an OB, if you're in the room with me, you may be worried about your patient in the next room whose water's breaking, you know, there could be, I feel like what you're doing is, it gives an ability to be focused on other parts of women's health. And I know you're a big advocate for women all across the board. So I love that. And Rachel's actually in my hometown. I've sent two patients your way already. They're waiting to get in and get their appointment. So I hope we'll see more of this. So last time we left off and we just didn't feel like we got to cover everything. And so (laughs) we're going to jump right back in. Um, I did want to back up and cover a few things. One question okay. I want to ask you today is compared to say five years ago, three years ago, what are some of the newest advancements in helping women to navigate menopause and those seasons of turbulence that we experience in midlife? Right. So I don't know about five years ago, but just every, there's just been this move and movement and people, I don't want to just say women's health nurse practitioners, like there are other um, types of providers that kind of focus on that, but there are um, societies or, you know, like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, like that's kind of the gold standard for people in Mm -hmm. OBGYN, but there are other societies that have kind of I don't want to say broken off, but just developed independently that focus more on um, women's sexual health, menopause management. And so they give us some good guidelines and they also have um, great educational opportunities for providers. Hmm. So we, you know, we learn what we can when we're in school, but you've got to keep learning to stay abreast of of the newest information. So you're basically saying these things that we may be experiencing are getting more attention in the medical field? Yes. Yes. And there are people, there's kind of a, a movement of people that specialize in those. I mean, there have all, there have always been those people, but now it's um, just more people that want to specialize in sexual health or menopause management. And do you think I, I mean, I, I'm not sure, Rachel, you're, you're a little bit younger than us and well, a little just bit, a, a lot tad. of it, <laughs> just, just a lot of it younger than us. Uh, but, you know, within this movement, um, I, I think that what's, what's really cool to hear and see is that people are bringing it to the forefront. It's not like this taboo thing anymore. And, um, to have more people, uh, in your industry, in your field, to say, "Hey, we want to, we want to really make this a normal conversation. Yeah. We don't want to have a conversation anymore where um, people are like, shh, we don't want to talk about that. Shh, you know, don't don't say anything like that. It's going right. to scare the gener- the the uh, generation below you. Shh, don't talk about that. You know. So right. I I really love that you guys are opening up the conversation. So in in your experience so far with the midlife space and working with women, have you found that even women are becoming more open to talking about their issues that you see? I I think they are. And I think part, I have a lot of patients who say like, I've never felt comfortable to ask anyone that before, or I've never talked about it before. And I think 
I just ask patients like, how's your sex life? How's your vagina? Is it dry? Does it hurt? You know? And oh, wow. Yeah. She gets so in there. Yeah. I get, just go. <laughs> go in there. Just but go you know, for it. Just go for it, girl. Part of this community, but, what we want to help women do is learn to advocate for themselves, right. for their sexual health, for their just female health, for their lady pots, for their uterus. Yes. Um, uh, so what would you advise? What are some good tips you can give women when they're coming in for an appointment? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them to help them to be their own advocate and to advocate for themselves in a better way? What kind of language are you looking for? What kind of symptoms would you want them to talk about? Yeah. Well, there's first thing I tell everyone is if you have a question, put it in the note in your phone, because when you get there, you're going to forget what you wanted to talk about. And then you may wait a whole other year before you go see anybody else. And Mm -hmm. so go ahead and put it in your notes. Um, Something else that's helpful is to go ahead and tell the person when you're making your appointment, what you're making your appointment for. So if you just say like, it burns when I pee, well that they may just schedule you for like a short little 15 minute appointment thinking that you're coming in for like a UTI or something. But if you tell them, and these people have heard everything, I know that it's embarrassing for people who don't talk about it every day, but whoever you're talking to to make your appointment has heard every single reason there is to make an appointment. They've also heard all the words you call. I I used to work in medical and people could not call and say, they would, they would say, you know, down there. And you're like, yes. Yes. What part down there? So yes, is it, it's helpful to you if they use terms besides coochie coo, right? Right. Well, I mean, sure. (laughs) But Just use the words that you have. I mean, you don't have to call it your vulva or your urethra or you just use the words that you have. And we do need to know the vagina from the rectum. We do need to know the vagina from the rectum. We do need to know that the vagina is the inside part. Everyone calls everything the vagina. That's that's I'm glad that people use the word vagina, but the outside part is the vulva. So um, but don't. We've heard every, I mean, we've heard every single word there is to call these body parts. Mm-hmm. So don't be embarrassed. I mean, I understand it's embarrassing, but try not to be embarrassed if you use the wrong word or if you don't know the scientific word for it. Just, you know, give us the information you have with whatever words you have to give it to us. But Rachel, isn't that, isn't that the point here? The point is to normalize the conversation. And so you're just giving them permission right now to say whatever words you have in your toolbox to use, use it. Don't be embarrassed because there are several other women that are coming in with similar situations. And, you know, we just want this to be a space where you can count on us. Right. Absolutely. And I'd be willing to bet a 50 that you aren't the first one to call with that problem. Because just in my time in the medical field, you know, there's few things we haven't seen or heard. There's just few things. So just know that your problem has been seen most likely. Probably that same day. Like you're probably not even the first person that day. (laughs) So so, so that's a fun, that's a fun little story. Tell, tell us Rachel really quickly. I know. Yeah. Okay. Where's she going here? (laughs) Tell us, tell us like in one day, have you seen like, I don't know how many patients you see in a day, but let's just say you see 10 patients in a day. I think that's kind of Mm -hmm. advantageous, but let's just say you do. Um, Have you ever had like all of them come in for a similar thing in that day? Not everyone, but there do tend to be patterns. So it's kind of like, today's my depression day, which people go to the OBGYN office for depression because that's just like where they're comfortable going. Or like, today's my herpes day where everyone comes in thinking they have herpes. So it's not truly... I love she said thinking they have herpes. Thinking that they have herpes. Because they've been on they've been on the internet. They've been on the internet. A lot of times it's like an ingrown hair or something. But like the the WebMD, huh? Yes. Yes. So let's kind of pick up where we left off last time now that we've kind of covered that. We were kind of talking about sex, just to be clear, because I'm fifty-four now, Christine's in her forties, and I'm starting to hear those stories from my friends um, 
about changes and not being able to and being very dry. And, you know, I think there is an underlying story that there will become in midlife to our golden years, we think we may lose the ability to have sex altogether. And when we were chatting last time, you said that that doesn't have to be the story. So talk a little bit more about that. Like as we move into midlife and those, um, the later seasons of life, what would be the normal, you know, say median expectations of the kind of activities you can have with your partner? Should you expect to still be able to have intercourse? Is it, um, what's it going to require? Just, just let's go down that road a little bit because I think women and, and they're afraid to ask. They're, they're, you know, they don't want anyone else to know they're having problems because our society makes it sound like if you're having sexual problems, you're not sexy. And right. I think but that is total here's bullshit. The other, here's yeah. the other thing, too, though, is that it's not, especially if you're you're married and you have um, your, your partner's like either the same age as you or just a little bit older than you, you know, and you're in this midlife season, it, it can be also your partner too. Like the, the drive maybe goes down and, um, and so you're kind of in this position where you're like, okay, is it me? Is right. it my partner? Um, how do Cause we it can offend your partner. This? So yeah. you hear stories like that as well. I mean, cause that's a part of that midlife and having, having a good, um, sex life in midlife. I mean, cause you still can. Absolutely. And you, if you want, if you want to have a good sex life, you should have a good sex life. So that I'll start there by saying that if you are, whatever age you are, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're 80 and you don't care about having sex, then that's fine. Like you, if, if it's not distressing to you, then it's not something that has to be fixed. Um, but if you don't have a sex drive and it is distressing to you, then that you need to see someone. And if you don't have a provider that you're comfortable talking to, find another one. Um, if you, I would say go see your provider and try to talk to them about it because chances are they've already talked to somebody that day about their low libido or their painful sex. But if you're just, for whatever reason, absolutely can't do it, try to find someone else that you can talk to. Um, a lot of people do, um, have decreased sex drive as they age and it can start in your thirties. It can start in your twenties. I mean, it's not just a midlife thing. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. But where does that come from? It comes, it too, there's just too many different variables to like pin it down to one thing. It can be, if you if you have kids, it can be just your body changes with age and maybe your self-esteem changes. It can be from your hormones changing. Um, So both internal and external factors. Absolutely. Depression, stress, you know, all those kinds of things. Not liking your your husband. (laughs) That also, that also tends to make you not not have sex with him. (laughs) Or didn't put his paper towel in the, in the garbage. Oh no. Children are hellions. (laughs) Yes. So let's talk about, I'd like to differentiate between sex drive and the mechanics of the parts. Does right. That, is that the way to describe that? Yes. Like the, so there are two different, oh, I don't want to say two. There is a spectrum of different problems with sex that tend to come up around middle age, but they can happen sooner or they may happen later. Um, there is like a sex drive or libido, which is your desire to have sex. And then there um, is like the physical part of it or the mechanical part of it where um, your vagina may be drier. Your skin may not be as elastic as it used to be. Um, Things, you know, people have hysterectomies or have children or um, things we talked last time about um, prolapses and all those kinds of things. So things just change with age. So sometimes you may have pain with sex that you didn't used to have. So there's a whole spectrum of problems. Some people have a desire to have sex and enjoy having sex, but can't have an orgasm. So there's just a whole huge spectrum. And I know we talked about this last time, but the prolapse thing really, really gets me. Like, it yeah. really, like, 
it, it just really does because I'm like, wait, you can have a rectal prolapse, you can have a uteral pro, pro is that even how you say yeah, uteral? Yeah, a uterine, uterine prolapse, yeah. Uterine prolapse. Christina, and- this is like when you work in medical and you have this list of all the things you don't want to get. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, brain I'm, tumor, genital like- um, <laughs> warts. Um, there was a cyst we had on our list when I worked in medical. I'm oh adding prolapse of any kind yes. to my list well, it just doesn't sound like a good time but Rachel's like it's, it's totally normal it is it, I mean it's it's not very exciting so, so here's the thing how, how I'm kind of circling back and tying this together okay so I'm like whatever we have some people Spit it out. In, in, in their midlife that you know like to like to have sex in many different ways okay yeah so I'm, I'm just gonna throw that out there so is that Listen, there are women on, on like listening today that are like, well, how do you get a rectal prolapse? Is it because you like to have sex in all different ways? So, so not really quick, not necessarily. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, sure. If, (laughs) is this book, I think we, you're at, you're basically asking what does something cause that? Is, is this a personal question, Christina? I'm just no, gonna throw it out no, there. My, no, my mind. Kevin. My mind is like, <laughs> <laughs> no, because our kids listen to this, so I would not put that out. I'm just saying for our for our community, I'm sure. Listen, we are kind of a free people out here in California. Okay, so you know they they just kind of do whatever. So I I would really like to know like what does that what does that look like? I mean, is that how you get a rectal prolapse or is it so from childbirth? Like it's not. That's not usually how you get. It's a rectal from prolapse. constipation, Christina. <laughs> it is often from constipation. It can well, be from, that sure. <laughs> that's why I said it. I wasn't going to out you, but it can be from obesity. Last oh, time we geez. talked about having had a hysterectomy, um, just kind of weakens your pelvic floor, which can cause a prolapse, um, vaginal deliveries, sometimes pregnancy in general, but typically having vaginal deliveries. But not having um, acrobatic sex is not what causes that. <laughs> That's not typically, I'm not saying that it couldn't, you know, if you, if that was your preferred way to have sex and you did it, you know, three times a week, every week for your whole life, I'm, I'm not saying that that wouldn't cause that problem, but typically, typically it's from it on the head for like probably half of our, half of our audience. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh my Lord. Probably not my my half over here on the East Coast, but, you know, we're still in the Bible Belt and we still have our legs crossed, but, you know, missionary position over here. Um, So, okay, so if you have the drive, now let's back up. If you do not have the drive, I hear you saying that can be caused by environmental factors, you know, stress, depression, children, but it could be caused by some medical factors like hormones, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of it is caused like without, without a known reason. So and if you can pinpoint out of your control, correct? Yes. Because I think a yeah. lot of people, this comes up in marriages where one partner's just doesn't have the drive, especially if you started your relationship, just hot as blue blazes, you know, um, and you're just going at it like rabbits and then years go by and that changes. I think that can make a partner feel like you're not attracted to them. Right. And if you could control it. Yeah. Well, if you could control it, we would all just control it and have a great libido all the time. So it's not something that you can just control or turn off or turn on. Um, typically, you know, as you head towards midlife and beyond, sometimes it is from hormones. Sometimes people, I mean, people just have different baseline, um, levels of libido as it is. Luckily there are medications now that are specifically for, um, hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women. So there's two different medications. One is a pill that you take every day. And one is a shot that you take. Um, it's like a tiny essay shot. It's not quite as exciting as it sounds, but 
Um, it's a little bitty shot that you give yourself before you plan to have sex. So the... Oh, well, wait. I have never heard of this. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. you're giving that yourself a shot like, yes. before the like big... 30 minutes before you have About sex? 30 minutes before you have sex. And what does that and do? Does that increase yeah. your desire to have sex or your chances of having an orgasm? or what? It increases your desire to have sex. So, is, I mean, what's the shot made of? I mean, is there a little bit it, of testosterone in there? Nope, there's no testosterone, testosterone in it. Right? Yeah. right. yeah, it works on melanocytes. Um, okay. They're not exactly sure how it works, but they know that it does. Um, and, it, you know, nothing works for everyone. But it does increase your desire. Um, the problem that I've seen my patients have, the patients that use it have had great success. A lot of them are like, well, I don't have the desire to even give myself the shot. Oh, so that, oh. that doesn't help that problem. That so, might be, yeah, that might be a yeah. therapy. I'm just sitting here laughing because I'm thinking of all the people across America who won't take the vaccine, but they going to go get that shot next They're going to go get <laughs> So they can get it on. <laughs> They're going to get their violin shot. We don't know what you need, but we don't care. They're going to be making babies over there. If they're going to help my sex drive, I don't need to know what's in it. They just had it. Get it on. Is this shot shot for men and women, or is it just for women? It's just for women. Just for women. Where does the shot go? In your thigh, but it goes in the... I was like, where is she going with that? It goes in the fat, so it doesn't go... It's not a deep shot. It doesn't hurt. Um, but it just goes, you pinch up the fat on your thigh and it comes in like a little auto ejector and you, it has a button on it that you push. So there's I no like. I fat on my thigh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought she, cause she did not say where it goes. I'm oh, she's I about know. to tell us you got to put she's this joker in your vulva or something. And <laughs> no, uh, okay, nothing. That deal is off the table. So that increases your sex drive. It does nothing about, well, let me ask you that. Is that working on your mental state about sex or it's doing something physiologically to your lady it is parts? physiological to your lady parts. Wow. So I've had people describe it as being acutely aware of their genitals. Ooh. Some people are already acutely aware of their genitals. Right. <laughs> Some people need the antidote to that. Yes. Yes. I think that's really cool. So, yeah. Uh, I, like, really, it's like a ladies' Viagra. Yeah, you, it you is. That's what I'm going to ask next. But what? what happens if nothing happens? Then it's fine. You How just... long does it take for this to wear off? Um, I've heard some people say that it's still working the next day. Wow. You wow. might get so... morning sex too. Whoa. No, it's all yep. day. It's an all-day marathon. If you're taking but that you know shot, a lot of like, men love morning sex. <laughs> yes. So if you're getting it on that night and you wake up next morning ready to go again, you're going to have a happy partner, I think. Yes. Well, and the thing is when you have fulfilling sex, whether it's after you give yourself a shot or whatever, you're going to – it's going to increase your mental sex drive as well. That's so true. So if you had great sex last night and – the next morning you wake up, I can't tell you if it's from the shot or if it's because you had great sex last night. And you oh, so it, be, it might be a psychosomatic effect. Yeah, that's true because yeah. the better it is for me and my husband, the, I, I, okay, let's do that again. You know, yep. it's yeah. just like, yeah. it's not like you get really great sex and it does you for a while. It makes you want more great sex. Right. I, I had no yeah. idea. So this is a shot. Now the pill, how does that work? Is that something you take all the time or you take it before sex? You take it every night at bedtime. Um, it's another one that they're not exactly sure how it works. There's no hormones in it. It's you know pretty safe to take. It has few side effects. Some people get a little bit of low blood pressure from it. So you take it at bedtime. So if you're going to get low blood pressure, you're laying down in bed asleep. So, um, but it's having works, sex or you may be having sex <laughs> and then go to sleep. Wow. You, um, you take it every day and that just increases your baseline, um, sex drive. So the caveat with that is that if you drink more than two drinks a day, you cannot take that medication. So so no drunk sex with that one. No. Sorry, Christina. I'm just kidding. Christina is not about drunk sex. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Well, you'll just have to skip your pill for that day. I mean, it doesn't work that day. It, It increases your baseline sex drive. So 
if you have two drinks, don't take a pill that day. But if you drink two drinks every single day, then you just probably not take for that medication. You. Yeah, probably not for you. And these medications have been tested on premenopausal patients. So we use them in postmenopausal patients too. They're not contraindicated in those patients, but sometimes insurance won't pay for them. That's what the hell? Yep. You know, because, because <gasps> no, wait, we're whoa, not whoa, on the map yet. That is we're age discrimination. Yep. Well, they've not, not it's not yet. been tested in postmenopausal women. So, well, it's, I bet we got some, some people listening that will sign yeah. up for that test. Yeah. yeah. Well, we some gotta, some insurances pay and some don't. You, just, you know, we got to get on the try. map with this. The more yes. The, again, the more that we normalize the conversation about women's health, in general, but then mm-hmm. also the later part of life, the more insurance companies are going to have to listen. You know, yeah. they're, they're well, there's have almost to an inference there, isn't there? That right. it may not be as important to women. Yeah. In, I'm, I'm sure yeah. that, that was a decision made by man. Just going to throw it oh, out there. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, they play for they pay for Viagra for men of all ages. Ex- so, well, that's that's Whoa. what I'm saying. Again. Again, you have this, and I'm not going to male bash because I love my husband and I love my son and I love men. I think they're sexy and they can do a lot of cool things that I can't do. Um, However, I just think that, you know, for years, for years, the the communication um, to women, um, media, um, social media, every everything from A to Z has always been. Once you hit forty, you're washed up. Like right. you're over mm-hmm. the hill. We don't. You, you know, you got to go for a mammogram. You got to go for <laughs> you know all this all this stuff that you're like. Really, I got to do this at forty. Like I'm just now living at forty. Are you kidding me? Like, well, like when's the what, last what you time you were standing in the grocery store and the article was about satisfying sex at sixty two? I mean that you know yeah exactly. The, the articles it's, are written. Who says we don't want satisfying sex? And, and I think that's part of this conversation. And one thing. Rachel said last time that really stuck with me is that you can have a, a decent sex life, a fair enough sex life, a sex life until, you know, short of any other medical, you know, issues until you go until right on to heaven, home. you know, yep. until Jesus comes or whatever. Talk a little bit about that, Rachel. Like what did you mean that most people should be able to have intercourse into their elderly years or does it, are we talking about other kinds of sexual activity? Either, both, whichever. So you, you know, as long as you're healthy, should be able to have like penis and vagina sex. um, If that's the sex you choose to have well into your seventies, eighties, as long as you want to. As long as the um, hip can take it. As long as the hip can take it. Take, that's gotta, bone health. That's why you got to stretch those those abductors out. You got to stretch it out, girl. Well, bone there are all ladies. kinds of, <laughs> yes, there are all kinds of um, like wedge-shaped pillows that you can use to help yes. um, with mobility. There are, and you're going to laugh, but sex swings are great for um, older people that have limited mobility. So, so okay, 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 okay. What, what, what I hear you saying, Rachel, is um, take that 60, 70 year old man on a date to the yep. sex shop and get yourself a swing. Absolutely. Good. Look yes. how excited Christina is. Oh, look at her. I, listen, <laughs> Christina's still a newlywed. If my kids weren't listening, I would tell you all the things, but you know, oh, <laughs> I can't say that. Um, okay, so you know, for our listeners who do not know, tell us about a sex swing because I think sex- too that we have put a lot of things that could be helpful, things that a lot of people call toys. We've put them in a kinky erotica category, and sometimes they don't need to be. Sometimes they need to be just, this is going to help my partner and I to be bonded in this way and to enjoy sex. And so talk a little bit about that and and toys and helpers in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, sex swings are you know, we have this vision of like this thing that you have to mount to your ceiling Mm -hmm. and that it's for like, what came to mind. 
Right. Well, they make them that go over a door and they're very helpful for anyone with limited mobility. So I said older people, but it's not just older people. Anyone that, you know, wheelchair bound people, anyone that has trouble moving um, can benefit from a sex swing. And it's just kind of kind of like a harness that you put your legs in. Um, the ones that my patients typically buy go over a door. So it has to be over a a solid door. It can't just be like a regular old inside your house door. Um, but hotel room doors are usually pretty solid. Your front door, which could maybe <laughs> raise some eyebrows if you got um, like a, a big window no, wait, or wait, kids I'm running around. the door has to be open, right? No. No, no, no. Oh, no. I was it'll, thinking it'll... it's sitting in the open doorway when you're saying hotel doors and front doors. I'm like, wait a minute. No, they hook over the door kind of like a, um, like I have some things in my house that like hold shoes on the doors. Yeah, like a shoe rack. Yeah. Oh, I thought it had to be swinging like, you know, those bungee chairs your kids had when they were growing up. That's what I was imagining. Right. Well, that's not, I mean, we call it a swing. There's not a whole lot. You can swing as much as you want to, of course, but you don't, you don't have to swing. It may just help you get in a good position and help you mobilize yourself to where you can um, have fulfilling sex with whoever you want to have sex with. So well, I imagine that's helpful to your partner too, not having to support weight, yours or theirs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So that holds all of your weight. Um, Gail is, is thinking. She's like, oh, oh sorry about my puppy. Where am I taking Dan this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> there are um, actually some really good YouTube videos and of people completely clothed that show you show you how to use a sex swing. We watch them in school, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and they it's they're just kind of like wearing yoga pants and getting the sex swing and show you like different positions you can get in and different ways that you can mobilize yourself and. Um, they're really, it's helpful. I mean, it's, it's, we laugh about it and joke about it, but it really is a helpful tool for people. Well, you know, Rachel, I, I, I'll be truth, truth be told. I do like the wedge. I think that the wedge thing is, is a brilliant, mm -hmm. um, just really, really a brilliant creation, uh, for so many reasons, but I, I know for myself, my hips are not the greatest. And so mm -hmm. that actually gives me a lot of comfort when, you know, when I'm in certain positions. So yeah. you are also much more petite than your husband. So oh, yeah, my husband's six one and I'm, oh, yeah. so it's, yeah, you know. <laughs> there's all kinds of the, you know, all kinds of different wedges and some that are uh, kind of shaped like a bean that, you know, or, um, indented in the middle there's all kinds of tools we so Rachel, joked explain about in a little detail how like some of our listeners may not know what the wedge pill is or how you use it where it goes what it does go into that a little yeah bit. well you can use it however you you want to so some people um it's a pretty big sturdy pillow it's not like one of those little ones that goes between your knees when you sleep or anything like that they're they're big they're they're not hard but you're not gonna like sink into it and and there not be any re like if you were trying to use regular pillows to elevate any part of your body you may just sink into those pillows so they're pr it's pretty sturdy um a lot of people use it to either elevate like their butt um or you can use it so you can lay on it um like lay your back on it and your butt will be elevated which may be helpful for your own hips or your partner um or you can, if you, uh, I'm trying to think of like a professional way to say doggy style, but just doggy style. <laughs> there is no professional There is way. not one. It's, it's just doggy style. It's just doggy style. So <laughs> if you wanted to use it for that, like you don't have to hold yourself up with your arms or hold yourself up at your knees with your hips. So it's just, it's just a tool to help distribute your weight some so you're not having any like joint or minimizing the joint pain from sex and it also um for people who are different um heights especially will kind of bring them together so and, and let's be clear angles matter yeah i mean they do angles matter 
Go there. So we just went there today, you guys. Okay. Oh, let's go a little deeper because I I was a little prudish in this category when you start getting into toys and tools and all that. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna lie. A little prudish, deep south, Bible belt. We didn't learn that. So what kind of things that fall in this category? I hate that word toys because it just sounds like right. I mean, I don't know. What kind of devices, what kind of things are useful? to women and men of all ages that might want to might need some help or maybe right. prolapse is a situation, you know, all the things we've talked about, what are some things that are helpful in that category? Well, there are a lot of people want to continue having a sex life, but may have other um, health problems that limit that um, where they can't have like penis and vagina sex. Like, they have traditionally had. So um, toys or tools are things that you can use, um, you know, in place of a penis, but a lot of people just use them because they're fun and they want, and that's what they like. So um, don't, you know, if you're, I have a patient who is in her seventies and she was like, I love having sex, but like, we can't have regular sex anymore. And I was like, well, that's like, you I'm sorry that you felt like you had to, she said it almost like apologetically. And she said like, you know, like we have a, a dildo and then she, they do like mutual masturbation. And so for some people that's as, for some people that's their preference. And for some people that's as close to the sex that they used to have as they're going to have. So there are all different kinds of um, vibrators and dildos. They're made out of, a zillion different things. Um, they come like electronic where they um, vibrate, they come battery powered, rechargeable. Um, some you have to plug in and leave plugged in. I just tell people to read the reviews online. Um, that's the most helpful thing to a lot of them have just tons and tons of reviews. And unfortunately, a lot of times the more expensive they are, the better they are if you're buying electronic um, toys. So, and, and I think this is good, Rachel, that we're talking about this because we have the midlife woman on here that is, you know, maybe divorced and heading into the dating game. And she's had a partner for many, many years. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't have this partner anymore. And now I can partner with myself Mm -hmm. And, and this is, you know, a safe and healthy way and it gives her the option to explore to see if there is any like dryness or prolapse or things of that nature as she heads into the, the next season of her she life. She can test it out. Is that what yeah, you're yes. Hey, getting it tested out. So when she's I, ready I, to, I, when she's ready to ride the cowboy, it's not dry, <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, or maybe that's just what she wants to do. I mean, it, it, <laughs> she wants to save a horse and ride a cowboy. I don't there, know. <laughs> there are lots of people, you know, masturbate for lots of different reasons. It may be because you don't have a partner. It may be because your partner, um, you know, isn't healthy enough or has, you know, other things going on. Um, but there are lots of different, one of the um, Hitachi Magic Wand is one of the like tried and true vibrators. It's been around for at least 30 years, probably. Okay, it's, Rachel, before you go forward, go ahead and say it again. Spell the name because we've got viewers out there wrecking their cars trying to write this down. Well, let me hold on. <laughs> let me look it up. I don't know how to say It's a Japanese word. Let's see. Hitachi. H-I-T-A-C-H-I. Magic wand. Um, so that's not typically for like penetration. That's just a vibrator. Um, I mean, if you wanted to use it for penetration, sure you can, but it is pretty large. Um, but that is one of the just tried and true gold standard vibrator as far as like sexual health goes. Well, uh, I just wrote, I just wrote that down. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your review. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I doubt I will share. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people don't have orgasms and not just in midlife, but a lot of people don't have orgasms from vaginal sex. They need some other kind of stimulation. So, um, you know, you can use these, not just the Hitachi magic wand, you can use whatever, like with a partner by yourself and just, it's just however you want to. So Rachel, you you touched on something just now. Not everybody has an orgasm with with vaginal sex. So what are the ways for our listeners? Because, you know, I think, again, we're coming into this midlife season. We're opening up the conversation. We're normalizing it. And prior to that, it wasn't normal. And um, even talking about sex and sex toys and, you know, how you can increase in, in certain ways and um, how you can talk to your partner. And it's just, it was, it was very like, hush, hush. We don't talk about that. We keep it very personal. Um, and if you do go to the doctor and talk to them about it, you're just, you feel embarrassed or mm-hmm. apologetic. Uh, so, so can you share with our listeners just, uh, you know, how is it that a woman can have an orgasm? What, what are the ways Yeah, you can have a clitoral orgasm, a vaginal orgasm, an anal orgasm. And then some people have, um, like, nip. I mean, rarely, but there are people who have orgasms from nipple stimulation. um, And I think that's about it. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that has some other kind of orgasm. But as far as the, the typical ways to have orgasms, that's, that's it. Okay, I'm interested in, we talked about maybe sex drive declining, mechanics of sex maybe being more challenging in midlife. Are midlife women and menopausal women less likely to have orgasm? Does that part of the equation change or that's Not necessarily. That, oh, good news. Yeah, not necessarily. You know, of course, if you have a decrease, I mean, it's just all so intertwined. If you have a decreased sex drive and you really don't want to be having sex anyway and your vagina's dry, like you, you may be less likely to have an orgasm, but just from, you know, like a nerve ending standpoint, you don't like lose your nerve endings or anything like that. Hmm, that's good cool. to know. And when you yeah. said that, like dry, being dry, I just, oh my gosh, I just it could, could, think in my head like oh my gosh that would just mess with me if we were trying to have sex and then it was dry down there and I would just be so concerned to to even have an orgasm it's like you, you just right you wouldn't be conducive yeah yeah you're just okay totally different so, so I, I get that going back to these tools and swings and stuff here's one of my concerns okay if I want to purchase these things I'm very Uh-oh. First of all, I'm not going to a store where I might be seen, heaven forbid, and other weirdos may have touched these products, you know, I'm germphobic. Oh, okay. Well, they but come in a box. I'm very concerned <laughs> to... She's not like, concerned about the Amazon man touching them. I Google this stuff. Like, I'm afraid to Google these terms of what you're going to get. I'm, I'm, I can imagine my screen being filled with porn. So when women want to shop for lubricants for uh-huh. you know toys for all these things how can they do that without feeling gross and seedy and feel like they've entered the underbelly of the sex trade or something well you can shop all these you can buy on amazon so they come you know it comes in an amazon box straight to your house and it's not gonna there's no porn gonna pop up on amazon or anything like that um I'm not going to say that you're never going to get anything to come up unexpectedly on your search engine, but I have Googled plenty of toys and tools and lubes and all these kinds of things. And what comes up are sites trying to sell them to you. So it doesn't bring up just a Google search does not bring up videos of people using them unless you, I assume search for, you know, sex wing porn or something like that. Okay. So if you're if you're so just searching to buy one to Google sex swing. Yes, or buy sex swing. Or I wouldn't go clicking through the pictures. I wouldn't look at the images necessarily. But if you just Google sex swing and then find a, a site that's gonna sell it to you, those typically they may have pictures like suggest suggestive of sex, but they're not gonna be like close up pictures of people having sex or anything like that. 
Okay. Okay. Hold the phones. Look at that. That's that's what it looks like, Gail. The shoot. Can you see it? Yep. That and looks they have like one a rocket ship. <laughs> <laughs> it it does. Okay, yeah. and they have listeners can't see that, and that's probably a good thing for the moment. But the thing is, the point I want to make, and what I was hoping to find out, women can shop safely and privately from their home and not feel like they're going to get enrolled in a porn site because they Google right, this. right. And so out of an Eve, that I'm always afraid of what I Google in case I commit a crime down the road. You know, they always say <laughs> they've taken her computer and scrubbing it. I'm like, I don't want sex swing to be in my history, but. <laughs> It's just like you always want to wear clean underwear when you yeah. drive yes. in there because you never know. So, yeah. Yes, adamandeve.com, I think it's adamandeve.com, is one that um, is safe. I've looked at it plenty of times. There's nothing, like, super graphic okay. or offensive in the pictures. That I think they come in just, like, plain boxes where people wouldn't know where they came from or anything like that. That's so. super helpful, adamandeve.com. Okay, so we're 50 minutes in. It's time for the rapid fire. You ready, Christina? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. sex toy you most recommend to your patients? Oh, the Hitachi Magic Wand. It's my personal favorite. So. I wasn't going to make you go oh, wait, there. I... Your mom may be listening, but she went there. <laughs> well, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> Did you get her one for Christmas? No, no, no. I'm going to send one to your mom. <laughs> I'm going to die. With love, Rachel. <laughs> Christina, what you got? Okay, what is the uh, number one prolapse that you see the most? Um, Usually a um, like bladder prolapse or a cystocele. I promise that they're not as exciting as they sound like they are. Most people probably have a, most people that probably have like a mild prolapse do not even realize that they have it. So it's, it's uh, exciting to talk about, but they're not very exciting. <laughs> so sorry about my dog. He gets excited. We're talking about sex over here. Okay. Your oldest patient <laughs> that was still having regular penis vagina intercourse. My oldest patient that had sex like four times a week was 78 years old. What? Yep. Her, her, four her, times a week. Get it, girl. Yeah. Yep. She's a beast. I love her. Her boyfriend's a little bit older than her. She has. <laughs> her boyfriend is older. A little bit. Oh my God. You yes. know they say it's happening over at Shady Acres. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, let me tell you about her real quick though. She has um, pretty severe cystocil and rectocil and she's not a surgical candidate but she still has a very fulfilling sex life so wow yeah so even oh if you're God. having these things they don't necessarily prohibit you from having sex okay no. this is not a rapid fire but i forgot to ask it and i really want to sneak it in here um in your professional opinion how important is a healthy sex life to the success of marriages in the midlife and beyond. It is completely dependent on the people in the marriage. There are people who have very happy marriages that just don't have sex. And as long as both people are happy with that, then that is, you know, they're the ones that decide how um, fulfilling their relationship is. So there are plenty of people who don't have sex for whatever reason. Um, and they, can have completely healthy, normal, long-term marriages without having regular sex or having sex at all. Um, a lot of people would, of course, prefer to have sex, but there are people who, you know, don't have sex by choice and don't want to, and they... Like they both have low libido and they're okay. Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine a... best friends, they're best friends at that point. I would imagine good, honest communication... Yes. Yeah. I mean, what's you've... going on because I think we make a lot of assumptions. If someone's less, they're being less amorous, we assume they're having an affair. It's about us. And you're basically saying, in this season of life, even earlier years, that may not be the case at all. Right. Yeah. So we as don't long need as to jump to conclusions. but you do need to talk. You know, one person has a really high sex drive and one person doesn't, and I could see how that would be a problem. But if you 
But we have help. Help is on the way. Yes. I love that, Christina. All right, last last question, or you have one more, Gail. Um, oh, I've got is, plenty. <laughs> she's ready to go. Mine is uh, be, best position for a woman that is suffering from the the uter, uterine prolapse. Oh, any of them is fine. Okay. It just moves it right out of the way. <laughs> it does. It just like it just it pushes just, it back it where it should be. It yep. Is that what she's saying? Yeah. Okay, here's my last one. If someone hasn't had sex in a while, like I know mm-hmm. a lot of women, they go... They got to dust the cobwebs off, Gail. Yeah, that's what I want to know. What? How does that... Because I know people who have been divorced a long time, they haven't dated a long time, and they've not been having sex, and they want to crank up the engine. Anything that needs to be checked under the hood before they do? Should they come in to see a provider? Should they poke around? Should they get a mirror? What should happen? <laughs> well, I think it's a good idea for everyone to check themselves out with a mirror every now and then. Oh, dear. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you going to know if something's okay, wrong? Okay, here's the thing. You, like, you have to lock all the doors, make sure none of the kids try to pop in. You also got to make sure your husband's not coming in. And he's like, what are you doing down there? Oh, I'm just checking things out. Just checking just, it out. I kind of live <laughs> under that. I don't want to know how bad okay. it is down there. Well. But she doesn't have to look. So if she hasn't had sex in a long time, things that need to be addressed either with a mirror or with a sex toy by herself or with a provider um, is, is her skin healthy enough to have sex. So as we age, that skin down there um, loses its estrogen, it loses its elasticity, and it gets thinner. Um, so... Is it going to need some kind of treatment to make it more elastic and make it thicker and um, more comfortable to have sex? I'm not saying, I mean, there are people who cannot have sex. They get, their vagina gets like stenotic where it is just um, like will not stretch or anything, but. And is amount of use relate to that? Does like, we kind of touched on this last time, but I want to be clear is lack of use a problem does that contribute to the problems it can it can and it can um contribute to like pelvic floor problems with keeping those muscles toned and everything like that so there are medications topical medications and pills that you can take if your skin is not whether you have sex a lot or not if your skin is not um you know healthy enough I don't want to say healthy enough because it's not, it's not like diseased skin or anything. It's just not um, in the right shape to be like risk to have receptive sex. Then there are lots of different things you can do for that. So you can, and I know that um, there's dilation can be a thing that a medical professional can help you with to kind of open things up a little bit. So women, what we want to know, we've joked a lot and stuff. We want you to know you can have a healthy sex life. It may not look like you expected. It may look different than you could have even imagined. But there there are helps. So get with a provider like a Rachel who specializes in this field and really talk honestly. Use your words. Describe the yes. situation and be completely honest. Don't hold back. And they can get you some help. There's no reason to suffer. Now, if you're totally happy with your sex life, what whatever it is, wherever it is, um, cool. But if there's anything that you want to ask questions about, just know that there are providers out there that are ready and willing, like it's their passion to help you. And Rachel, I'm grateful. And I'm so proud of you. I've known you since you were like 16 years old. And to watch you grow into this beautiful young woman who serves other women and who has put her money where her mouth is, basically, because you've always had that feminist streak, you can rule the world, (laughs) girl power, but you're doing something with that that makes a difference for women. So thank you for that. I'm so, so proud of you. so we're going to wrap it up for today. Maybe we can talk Rachel into coming back in a few months. I'd love to get some listener feedback and some listener questions. Maybe we could do a whole episode just on listener questions. Would you be down I for that? I would love that. Absolutely. Okay. Here's how you can reach us. 
midlifemoxiepodcast at gmail.com. You can send questions and comments or just reach out to Christina and myself. We also want to recognize our supportive sponsors. We have um, a new one that I'm super excited about, Walking Cradles Shoes. Rachel, you got to check this out. You're on your feet all I'm day. writing it down. Walkingcradles.com slash moxie. And you're going to use the code word MOXIE10 to get 20% off any of their styles. These are shoes designed by women. They have pillows of comfort inserted. They're size inclusive. I think, didn't she say 6 to 13 or 4 to 13? Something like that. All, all widths, which is hard to find in the industry. But they really design them with our feet in mind, not just, you know, a cheap knockoff look but they have some really cute designs too so and it's booties it's city sneakers it's loafers it's heels it's flats they're everything so walkingcradles.com slash moxie code moxie 20 who else we have christina we also have our amazing boobalicious products so if you guys suffer from boob sweat or your lady parts sweat because you know, things are shifting and changing. Well, then you'll want to check out our um, amazing um, people at Boobalicious Products. And you can go to love, L-U-V, com, And your code word will be Moxie, M-O-X-I-E. So go check it out and let us know what you think. I love the way she spells that. It's just so classy. M-O-X-I-E. So that's all we have for today. Um, Moxie, Christina's texting me. It's Moxie 20. I'm sorry, on the shoes. The code word is Moxie 20. Moxie 20. Use the link and then the code word Moxie 20 to get 20% off. That's a great deal. They're very generous and I love those ladies over there. So this is another episode of Midlife Moxie. Again, reach out to us through Midlife Moxie podcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at midlifemoxie.net. Find us on Instagram at Gala Scott and at one sassy massy. Until next time, what do we say, Christina? Go and get your moxie on. Bye-bye, y'all.